for those uh, who are want to come for prayer early, and it's a great way of expressing that level of authenticity, saying, I have a need and I need you to pray for it and support me in this way. I think another way that it happens is that there's, there's times when what you have going on in your life is so significant that uh, really the best thing that, that you can do is, is tap a friend on the shoulder that you know, a spiritual friend here at Jericho, and say, can you come and sit with me outside in the arena, and I just need to talk about what's going on in my life. Um, and there's times when that's a very appropriate thing to do. All right, we'll see you, Danny. Danny's got something clearly significant going on in his life, so quick, someone go and find Danny and sit him down. And <gasps> No, I'm sorry. I'll just pick on Danny because I know he's okay with that, and he does it to me too. So <laughs> It's authentic community, right, Danny? <laughs> Um, so that's just another example of the way in which on a Sunday morning that can play itself out. Okay, let's talk about generous lifestyle a little bit. What are ways in which you see generous living expressing itself in, on a Sunday morning? Yeah, for sure. People coming and being generous with their time, which is one of the, the things we isolate with that value. Uh, people that prepare in advance. There's, there's small group leaders that pray for your kids every week throughout the whole week. They're getting ready and preparing and being very generous with their time, with their creativity and their abilities that God has given to them and expressing that. Where else would you see that on a Sunday morning? Yeah, in the offering, absolutely. It's just another expression of worship of uh, entrusting and saying, God, you've been faithful to us, and particularly in a weekend like Thanksgiving, saying, God, we just want to honor you for the way in which you've been so faithful to us living in such a, a land of plenty like, like our nation. Um, there's all kinds of other expressions of this. I see people intentionally inviting other people uh, out for lunch and, and demonstrating radical hospitality on a Sunday morning where I see them going out together and they're headed back to their home or they're headed out to lunch somewhere to try and deepen those connections a little bit, being generous uh, in the way in which they demonstrate radical hospitality, um, using their skill sets to solve problems that come up on a Sunday morning, uh, whether it's technical issues or whatever. There's all kinds of ways in which this gets lived out in the life of a faith community. And that's just isolating Sunday mornings for us. And so some of the, the rationale for doing our Back to Basics series has been to help you understand why we do some of the things that we do here at Jericho Ridge and where they come from in our DNA and what we're trying to accomplish and say and live out biblically uh, as, we, as we promise each other certain things about our core values. And so today we're going to focus on our final core value, holistic worship. And we're going to see, uh, continue to see how core values help us answer this question of why we do what we do. And we're going to see that um, in this particular example, in our core values, it's talking about our motivation. And many of us actually don't take a lot of time to think about our motivation very much, either personally or as a family or as an organization. We just kind of do things without actually thinking about them. I'll give you an example from our life. Uh, recently, we switched our phone service providers, and someone asked me, well, why did you do that? And I had to think about it for a bit, and I said, well, I was going to save a couple of bucks a month, uh, but if I was to be really honest, I think I switched because they gave me free stuff. Um, and then I thought about it a little bit more, and I thought, you know, a few years ago I switched banks, and sure, the bank was closer and more convenient to my home, but I also switched banks because they gave me free stuff. So I'm beginning to think maybe I'm a little more shallow and my motives can be bought more easily than I thought that I, they could be. Um, but 
it, when I thought about some of my motivations and my loyalties, the more I realized in my decisions as an organization, your, your motives and your values are shaped by the compelling questions that you tell yourself about what's important. And so our core values are statements to help us remember the things that are important to us. And our, so many times the culture shapes our values. And our culture's most compelling question, as evidenced by my apparent shallowness in switching service providers so often, is that maybe the most compelling question in our culture is that of what's in it for me. And so I, I switch because you know my, my motives are driven by the question, what am I going to get out of this transaction that is of benefit to me in some way. And that's maybe fine when it comes to phone service or who I bank with, but this morning I want us to explore an unintended consequence that creeps into uh, this our lives when we bring it into places, this what's in it for me attitude, WIFM attitude, uh, where places where it doesn't belong. We're going to talk on November the 5th. What happens when you bring that what's in it for me attitude into your marriage? And specific to our value of holistic worship, what happens when you bring this attitude through the doors of the event center on a Sunday morning or wherever it is that you attend a faith community? You see, when what's in it for me comes to church, it creates a transactional view of spirituality. And so what ends up happening is that I think to myself, well, I show up, I put a few bucks in the offering, I serve a few hours a week, and therefore... I have fulfilled my end of this transaction. So therefore, God is now obligated to do something for me in some way. He needs to give me what I need or what I want. And we're going to talk about more about this in our series that begins next weekend on prayer. Uh, but when this occurs, it can lead us towards a place where we begin to see church and a gathered faith community or even God as a product or as a commodity and my attendance on Sunday mornings then means that I need to get something out of the transaction. And if I don't, then someone has not fulfilled their end of the obligation and the bargain. And so the things that we think to ourselves that we could maybe get out of a particular Sunday morning interaction, a relational network, might be a little inspirational thought to get me through the week in some way, might be a little boost knowing that someone in the prayer prayed for me. Uh, but all of this and other things can lead us into a climate of spiritual consumerism whereby the measure of all things that occurs in the life of a church is what's in it for me. But the real problem, biblically speaking, is that it's not about you and it's not about me. You see, God made the first Move And so as our core value on page 31 of your Momentum Journal, if you've got your, um, your journal with you, flip it open to page 31. And as our core value is written there, it reminds us that God is the creator. He's the initiator. He's the sustainer. He is the one who has acted first. And so therefore, our response is simply described as worship. And so, both individually and corporately, this is what we mean when we talk about holistic worship. Author and burned-out pastor Ann Jackson defines worship in this way. I like it because it's a little bit more, I mean, the Archbishop of 
William Temple did a great job, Archbishop of Canterbury, defining worship, but it's a little too esoteric for me, so I like burned out pastor's definition of worship. Uh, it's, worship is simply expressing our dependence on the Holy Spirit by reflecting on and celebrating all of the things that God has done for us and is to us. We do this both individually in our day-to-day living and when we gather corporately with other believers. That's Ann Jackson in her book, uh, Mad Church. Now you'll hear us talking from time to time about uh, worship. And we almost always will remind ourselves and remind you of the fact that worship is more than music. Worship is more than music. So we'll, think, we'll use phrases like worship and song to clarify what we mean. Uh, and so actually today I want to turn the tables on you and talk specifically about worship in song. Because there's fantastic groups of people that spend a lot of time preparing for a Sunday morning uh, to lead us and rehearsing and praying and leading us in worship and song. And it takes a lot of our focus on Sunday morning. And so we should ask the question, why do we do it? Why do we actually sing on a Sunday morning? And there's a fantastic biblical mandate for worship and song. So we're going to look together at Psalm chapter 96. And we're going to dive into God's word together this morning. And the point that we're going to see in this text is that holistic worship is one of the most powerful ways in which we can stand against the what's-in-it-for-me culture that so easily seeps into the church. And this is because the point of Psalm 96 is to say worship is fundamentally not about what I get from God, but it's, what about, it's about what I give to Him. Worship is not about what I get from God, but it's about what I give to Him. And so let's look at Psalm 96. I'm going to be reading in verse 1, where it says, Sing to the Lord a song. All earth, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Each day, proclaim the good news that He saves. Publish His glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things that he does for great is the Lord he is most worthy of praise he is to be feared above all gods the gods of other nations are mere idols but the Lord made the heavens honor and majesty surround him strength and beauty fill his sanctuary And so when we ask the question, why do we do what we do? Why do we sing when we get together on a Sunday morning in church? Because there could be any number of answers to that question. I mean, we could be singing, is it like the previews at the movies? Like, if the movie starts at 6.30, you come in at 6.45 because you know that the first 15 minutes are just filler anyways. And so you know that the real start time is not the published start time. Well, one of the reasons why Psalm 96 says we sing in church is because it's actually a command. Three times in six short verses, it's very strongly worded. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. And throughout the scriptures, we have modeled for us this idea of dynamic encounters with God in worship in song. 
And there's just something dynamic and something powerful that happens when we experience and approach God through song. There's something powerful about the medium of music that God has given to us as humans to express something that's going on in our hearts and in our lives. Now, it's commanded that we're to sing, but one of the things that you could say is, well, okay, Brad, but I'm not a very musical person. So, like, does that really mean I have to sing? Like, on a Sunday morning, do, you just, do other people around me really want me to be opening my mouth and singing? Like, this, are you sure that this is an advisable idea? Now, when it's commanded that we sing, it doesn't mean that you have to be uber-musical to participate. The scriptures say make a joyful noise. They don't say make a skillful noise to the Lord. Uh, not even an on-key noise. And some of you are, are just very skilled at this. And this is like your primary pathway of connecting with God. Just every time worship and song is transpiring, you just think, oh, this is so great. I love participating in this. I love the people being on teams. It just helps me connect with God in powerful ways. For some others of you, not so much. And that's okay. But it's enough to mention that Jesus modeled this for us, both the Old and New Testament mandate for us, and we'll be engaged in worship in song in heaven. And so just think of Sunday as a rehearsal space for you, not as a performance space where you need to come and have this great musical talent all pieced together uh, before you open your lips to do it. We could talk much more about that, but you can carry on the conversation in your life group or with a spiritual friend or some additional possible objections that you have to worship in song and maybe some strategies to overcome them. Uh, but one of the other things that we see in this is not only are we instructed and invited in very strong and compelling language to worship in song, but we see that the language of this worship in song is actually corporate language. The language is always us and we. And this passage is actually, I don't know if you've ever noticed this in Scripture, but some parts of Scripture are exact replicas of other parts of Scripture. And so this is almost an exact replica of First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 23 to 33. And the story there is that King David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the very sign of God's presence in the Old Testament, uh, with and among the people after it's been absent for an extended period of time. And the whole nation is gathered there for the weekend of celebration. And what do they do? They sing. Because singing is in that context an expression. David's inviting them to express the unity of heart that they have before God. And singing is an incredible expression of unity. Think for a minute about Coca-Cola's outright purchase of Canadian singer and song, waving the flag for the World Cup last year. They didn't just ask him if they could use it. They gave him millions and millions of dollars because they understood the power of a song to rally not only an entire continent of Africa, but in fact many, many nations in the world around a very simple and catchy tune. It had an incredibly unifying effect. And so they were willing to pay millions and millions and millions of dollars. Music has a powerfully unifying potential to it. And so I think that's why the reverse is also true. When we turn worship into something that's not about what I give to God, but what's in it for me, it can very quickly turn very, very ugly. 
And some of you have been through very, very painful discussions in faith communities about worship styles and song in the church. And you understand how quickly this can go south. Because there's something about music that has an incredibly powerfully unifying effect. And so, if I were somebody that wanted to create disunity in the life of a particular community, I'd probably figure out music as a good way to kind of start there. Because music has an incredible power for unity. It crosses all pay grades. It crosses all socioeconomic indicators. crosses all spiritual maturity. When we sing together, it unifies us in a way that maybe nothing else on Sunday morning that we do can because corporately we declare God's character together. Really, in some ways, when we sing a new song, it's almost like a prayer. It's like the expression of our hearts collectively to God. And in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 3, it actually says, God sings over us. He rejoices over you. Sometimes when I don't know what to pray, a song will come on the radio or I'll have it on my CD player. And a song comes on and I say, oh, that's exactly what I wanted to say to God. I wasn't quite sure how I wanted to say it, but that's exactly how I wanted to express my heart to God. And so music can be like a prayer in some ways. Gives voice to your desires to say something to God. 38 times in the Old Testament, we have descriptions of prayers that are sung to God as the corporate community gathers. And so singing is commanded, it's about unity, and it can be a form of prayer. And here we have to take a moment to express a second objection, because you might look at Psalm 96 and go, okay, so I'm not just hung up a little bit on my musical abilities or lack thereof, but what is the business of singing a new song to the Lord? Like, does that mean I, I have to make fresh stuff up all the time? Like, does that mean I have to sing songs that I am unfamiliar with? Does it mean I can't sing some of my old favorites to God just because they're older? Because they fit in the category of a new song to the Lord? Well, this language of new that uh, the psalm writer uses here in Psalm chapter 96 is, is not about um, a, something that's fresh or unknown to you in any way or unfamiliar. It indicates a song that is refreshed or that is being refreshed. I think the best way to think about it is like on your computer, um, if, if you have to, if you're on a web page and you go away from your computer for a little while and you come back and there's content that's been added to that web page, you have to refresh your browser. You have to hit F5, right? Is it F5? It's F5, okay. Is it F5 on all browsers? I don't know. Go home and test your shortcuts. See what it is. It's F5 on Internet Explorer anyways. So and you hit F5 and you're refreshing that particular web page. And that's what the psalm writer is instructing us to do here. It's like when I engage worship in song, I hit five. It's like the shortcut key for reloading or refreshing that web page in my soul. It's a song that is unique and powerful because it expresses and involves telling or declaring something that I want to refresh in my heart, that I want to speak to God about. 
And look at the language of Psalm chapter 96. I'm not just refreshing this in my own heart, but I'm refreshing it also in front of other people about the character and the works of God. Sing a new song to the Lord. Praise His name. Each day declare the good news that He saved. I get together corporately each day. So you're doing this each day, hitting F5 on your soul. And this is where I find worship and song particularly challenging. Because verse 2 says that I'm to do it every day. And here we turn again to the problem of religious consumerism and that WIFM. Because when I see Sunday mornings, and when I, when I see worship in song as fueling uh, something that I need for the week, then it, it creates this, this atmosphere where I walk in on a Sunday morning, I think to myself, okay, we're going to worship in song. I've not had a great week. So I need them to really have a great song set this week that really hits F5 in my browser cache. And if, if that can do it, then I'm going to feel really encouraged emotionally. I'm going to feel like I met with God. And I'm going to be on kind of like a little religious high. And then when I walk out, it's kind of going to go down on Sunday afternoon. And then the Seahawks will yet again lose. And so it'll go really down. And then it'll kind of, I'll need to get in a life group so I can get like a little midweek pick-me-up. And I can get together with other people. And maybe they can encourage me again. And we look at the Bible again. So I'm going to get a little bit up. And then I'm going to kind of get, it's going to go down again after life group. And they're going to coast into Sunday mornings on, on fumes. And I'm empty and I come in and I sit down in my chair and I say, all right, they better hit a five for me today because it needs some refreshing in a serious way. So the challenge that creates in a corporate worship environment is that creates a very, very, very low level of experience in worship. It creates a climate where my expectations are, they better entertain me today. They better choose songs that I like. Because if it doesn't happen, then I can blame somebody else for my lack of spiritual growth. So Sunday mornings in worship and song might be the time that indeed you do hit F5 and you get refreshed. But it should not be the only time in the week that you get refreshed. And I think that sometimes our, a low level of expectancy in a corporate gathering on Sunday mornings results in uh, a lot of us not having hit F5 throughout the course of the week. And so some of us come into a Sunday morning with very, very stale relationships with God. And we haven't hit F5 in seven days or maybe some of us seven months, maybe some of us seven years or some of us seven decades. And if I'm coming and saying, All right, what are they going to do for me today? What's God going to give me today if I come to get from God instead of to give to God? Then you have to ask yourself the question, is my relationship with God fresh? How fresh is your relationship with God? And I, I, I ask you that not to guilt you into singing or to try and create some level of emotional exuberance in worship in song, but simply to point out to us that a lot of us are coasting in our relationship with God. And we're coasting along and we're singing other people's songs. And so maybe today might be your morning to tell or declare your heart again, to re-hit F5 on your soul to refresh yourself and remind yourself and say, you know what, God, you've been so merciful to me. I have not acknowledged that. 
You've been so kind in your grace and your mercy to me. Today might be your morning to declare to your heart again the salvation and glory of God. Come on a Sunday morning and we sing, How Great Is Our God? And we're like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I even really believe that at all. And some of us are just singing other people's songs. We sing the words on the street, but we haven't refreshed our hearts to come with a level of anticipation. And let's keep reading in our text because we'll see that one of the places where this refreshing happens is actually when we gather together in corporate worship. So Psalm 96, I'm going to keep reading in verse 7. Verse 8, when we get there, will come up on the screen. Psalm 96, verse 7 said, O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory that He deserves. Bring your offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in all of His holy splendor. Let all of the earth tremble before Him. Tell all the nations, the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken because He will judge all of the peoples fairly. And so perhaps today is the day that you either begin or uh, for you simply come to a place again of refreshing, of giving God the glory He deserves. Look at all the words and the character attributes of God that are described in there. We're called to recognize the Lord, to acknowledge His strength and His glory, His holy splendor, His power, His rule over the nations of the earth, His care for the people of the world, His position as judge over all. One of the things that for me has radically shifted in, in my own personal worship life and prayer life is this summer is I recognized how often I would rush in to talk to God either on a Sunday morning or in a personal time of prayer or worship. And I would rush into God and I would tell Him everything that I needed or wanted. Basically, I would tell Him how to do His job. And then I would rush away. And I was challenged by an individual who knew me well. He said, why don't you search the Bible and see, is that how people pray in the Bible? Because I don't know if that's how people pray in the Bible. And so I looked through the Bible about how people prayed and how they approached God in worship. And one of the things that I noticed is one of the first things that most people do in the Scriptures when they approach God is they do so by acknowledging aspects of His character that move them into a position of worship. They approached God in song or in prayer with praise leading the way. I often approach God in prayer with complaints leading the way. God, this is bothering me. Can you please do something about it? But what verses 7 to 10 reminds me of here is that my perspective that I have of God when I come to worship is going to my posture towards God. So if I come to God with nothing but my needs or concerns in my heart, then really... It shows that I see God as a giant vending machine, plug in my quarters, push the right buttons in worship, and out pops what's in it for me. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in our prayer series. But I realized part of what I was doing in worship was failing to acknowledge who God was and what He had done for me and for us. And so... That's part of what's so great about Thanksgiving weekend is it's not the football or the turkey or the time off. It's that opportunity that we have as individuals, as families, and as a corporate faith community to refresh our hearts and our perspective on who God is 
And if this is a new exercise for you, try an exercise this week. Just take a letter of the alphabet, any letter. See if you can think of an attribute of God's character that starts with that letter. So uh, let's just, we'll do a little practice and thank him for it that week. So let's do the letter T. So if you were going to thank God for an aspect of his character or something that he's done for you that started with the letter T, what would it be? God, I thank you that you are, you are, you are trustworthy. Yeah, absolutely. What else? That you are truth, that you are terrific. Yeah, what else? That you are a teacher, that you're here to what else? That you are tolerant. That's a good one. What? That you are transparent. Yeah, what else? God, I thank you that you are, what else? Trustworthy. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Try it. Try it around the Thanksgiving table this weekend. That's just another way of an exercise of trying to refresh your perspective on who God is. And try it in your, in your week to begin your times of prayer with that posture because your perspective of who God is when you come into those times of prayer will influence how you approach God. And we must approach God with the attitude of giving instead of the attitude of getting. Not because God is insecure or that somehow God has a fragile ego and he's waiting for you and me to tell him and remind him how great he is because he's forgot since last time we were there. It's not for his benefit. It's for my benefit. So remind me again of who God is and how he works. God doesn't need this. I need it. Because it prevents me from becoming a religious consumer of just asking God what's in it for me in worship. And so the question to ask ourselves this morning is this. When I come into a worship gathering, a corporate worship environment, what am I here for? Am I here to receive or am I here to give? As we finish out the psalm, there's one more direction in which worship in song flows. It not only flows inward to do an F5 refresh on our hearts, it not only flows upward in recognition of who God is, which is sometimes why we raise our hands in worship, but it also flows to a watching world. Look with me at verses 11 to 13, or 10 to 13. Tell all of the nations the Lord reigns. The Lord stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all the peoples fairly. This is happening in worship. Let the nations, let the heavens be glad, and let all of the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout His praise. Let the fields, let their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise before the Lord, for He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with His truth. And so when we gather for corporate worship and song, we can also serve the function of proclaiming and declaring that the Lord reigns. And this is where, again, we gather our ultimate perspective on worship in song. We don't simply worship God to remind ourselves of who He is. 
We don't simply worship God to refresh our cache, our browser cache, although you do have to believe something before you can declare it. I think one of the reasons we engage in worship in song is that, and I couldn't come up with anything profound to say here except for it keeps things from getting campy. And by campy, I mean that when we declare and proclaim that the Lord reigns and we're called to do this among the nations, one of the habits that can happen for people that gather for worship corporately is that it can be like a Sunday morning, can become like this exercise of sitting around a campfire and singing Kumbaya, Lord, Kumbaya. It's very warming, it feels very nice, it's very chummy, and it's a good experience, but it misses the point of worship and what we're called to declare, because the point is that God, whom we exalt in worship, is coming to judge the nations. He's coming to administer justice. He's coming to judge the actions of my thoughts and heart. And so the question to ask ourselves is, if we make worship in song something very, very small that's just about us and what we do here, it gets to be about all kinds of wrong-headed things. It gets to be about style. It gets to be about, my, are they singing my favorite songs? It gets to be about, did the band sing that song at the right temple that I heard it on the radio last week? It gets to be about, did the band, is they have a skill set that I feel like I could enter into worship? Or anything else that ultimately obscures the aim of the proclamation and declaration of the reign of God in my life, in our church, and in his world. And that's kind of why I love the fact that we have big windows here in worship and we can see out on our city. Because sometimes I think it's appropriate for us just to stretch out our hands in worship and say, but God, there are thousands upon thousands of people here in our neighborhood who have not come to acknowledge and admit in their lives, your reign. They've not come under submission to your reign. And so we get to sing with the saints and the angels and all the other Christians here in our city, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life, in your church, and in our world, in Clarence, and in our city, and in your world, God, as it is in heaven. And we get to do this when we worship in song. And so when we lose sight of this end, worship becomes all about my personal preferences and what's in it for me. But when we remind ourselves, ultimately our end is to declare to the nations and to take the reign of God, which we declare here in our midst, out into his world with us and live it out, it ultimately puts worship in song in right perspective. And so I'm going to ask the band if they would come. They're going to lead us in a time of worship in song in response. And I want you just to invite God this morning to spend time reshaping and giving your worship a more holistic edge to it this morning. Inviting God to maybe point out aspects in your life where you've thought, you know what, it's been a little bit more about me than it has been about what God is doing in his world and his invitation to partnership in it. And so we're going to move into a time of prayer together and a time of response in song. And Dave and the prayer team will be available over at the side there. If you want to move over at any time and pray with somebody about anything that's going on in your life, or you want to celebrate something God has done in your heart, and say, I just have to give God praise and honor and glory for this aspect of what he's doing in my life. We just invite you to move over there with the team.
the uh, worship and song team has got a number of songs that they're going to lead us in, songs of reflection and invitation. And so we'll just spend some time together worshiping as a response here this morning. Let me pray for you this time. Same.